0: Welcome to FMC Radio, your officially unofficial source for all things Free Methodist. From in-depth discussions with key FMC leaders to daily updates during events like General Conference, we want to keep a consistent stream of information flowing to you regarding where God is leading the Free Methodist Church. I'm your host, Josh Avery. We want to invite you to sit back, relax, and join us on this journey as we learn what it means to be Free Methodist in this episode of the FMC Radio Show. Made it to the month of October. It's October 1st, actually, so the very first day of October. It's felt a little bit uh, more like fall these last few days here in northeastern Ohio. It's been very uh, cold, but not, I shouldn't say very cold. I, if I think this is very cold, I'm going to be surprised in a few months when it's ice cold. But uh, of course, this month, October, what a lot of people think of, they think of pumpkin spice everything right they have uh, pumpkin flavored everything you go out there you you rake leaves you maybe jump in a pile you carve a pumpkin and of course at the end of the month the very last day of the month october 31st will be halloween day um or i guess for most people halloween night a lot of people do trick-or-treating with kids and those types of things and i'm not going to get into halloween today uh very much but uh, back last year on episode 32 we had an episode that's titled Grim Grinning Ghost and we talked um about a couple different things but one of the things we discussed on that episode was about the idea of what do you do on Halloween because there's been a lot of churches that have asked that question over the years you know do you do you not celebrated at all? Do you, do you? Is it okay to celebrate? Um, what should you do? Um, so I would uh, guide you towards episode 32 as far as Halloween is concerned, but I will say this. It's beginning of the month, so you have some time to plan what you're going to do. And as a, a bit of a spoiler, again, I'll get more into it if you listen to that episode, um, but uh, there's a great ministry opportunity for in the reality that people are walking up to your door the one time a year that you're going to have countless people walking up to your door and there is a ministry opportunity there there's something unique about that whether you agree or disagree with the costumes you know celebrating halloween that set that aside think about the fact that all these people are walking up to your door what could you do in those few moments that's different than anybody else on your street that's just handing out the candy and they move on. What could you do for parents? What could you do for families? Uh, So again, there is more information in episode 32 that we talked about back uh, a year ago. So look back into the the history of the podcast and you'll find that be able to listen to that for some ideas. But it's early enough in the month that you can start to plan something pretty cool um, if you want to do that. Also, just a few other announcements, uh, try to keep this front part short today. We have, um, I believe it's going to air next week, a pretty uh, fun guest coming on. We have a guy, and I won't tell you anything about him yet. We'll get into his information next week, but a guy who uh, has retired within the last several years from the Today Show, yes, the Today Show, the one that's on TV. <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, it's not a trick. Uh, it's a guy who used to work on the Today Show, and um, he would do a segment Uh, well, all the time Um, and uh, so he's going to be on talking to us about a bunch of different things next week and um, so it'll be exciting to have him make sure you listen to next week's episode for that Uh, also, I wanted to and I'll remind you guys about this coming up but uh, I wanted to let you know that the 22nd and the 29th which are upcoming Mondays of this month there will be no show posted there will be no podcast coming out because I will be going to Cuba uh, for a missions trip this will be my third trip And um, we will be um, there for, it'll cover two Mondays. So I will not have anything. You won't see anything posted those two days, but don't worry. We will be back the following Monday, which will be, I believe, into November at that point. Um, And we'll probably have some recordings and some things uh, regarding Cuba and kind of maybe even be able to hopefully bring down my microphone or my iPad at the very least and record a few things of of what's going on down there. Of course, I'll have to find some people. People people that speak pretty good English, to be able to uh, give them your voice, um, their voices here so you can understand what they're saying, um, or find a translator that can translate for me for you. But I think that um, you will you will like to hear from the people in Cuba and hear what's going on down there as well. So again, uh, that will be coming up the end of this month. Uh, another thing that just happened, the uh, when Kevin Austin talked to us two weeks ago about the Freedom Sunday, many of you celebrated that recently here, hopefully. Um, but uh, the Marcout um, f- Creamery, the, the Marcout fr- Creamery that had the um, fundraiser going on, the fundraiser going on to raise money for the set free movement. It actually raised thirty thousand dollars. The Marcoot Jersey Creamery, and uh, they had a great event there. A lot of people. It was actually sold out. I was reading online uh, the tickets that they had there for the dinner. So it was a great event, and I'm sure they'll do something again in the future based upon how successful it was. Thanks to anybody out there who was willing to buy online, or if anybody actually attended in person, that would that was pretty amazing too. If you were able to get there. Um, And then one last thing here that we have uh, from our October prayer guide. I opened up the new prayer guide from Free Methodist World Missions. You can also access it online um, if you don't have a physical copy to see what to pray for each day. And today, Monday, the Philippines, on October 1st, it says, pray for the free life ministry in the Philippines as every local church reaches out to high school and university students. Pray for mobilization and empowerment of the young people in the Philippines to share the gospel. So let's take a moment to pray for the Philippines today. Dear God, we just pray for uh, the set for the free life ministry here in the Philippines. Um we pray for the local churches reaching out to high school and university students. and we pray that um, you would be with not only these um these people that are reaching out, but also the young people in the Philippines um, that are are being are hearing this message that are, uh, maybe even some for the first time, some that have heard the the message, the gospel a million times, but they just have never, you know believed it or taken it seriously. We just pray that um, that people would truly be transformed for you, that they would be um, your disciples, that they would not um, fall into a, a pattern of um, of complacency or anything like that that can happen sometimes in the church where we just get so used to things. Uh, but that in the Philippines today that there would start to be a a movement, um, that things would be transformed there, and that uh, you will do your work in in that country. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, Uh, we will be right back with our interview for today.
1: This is Bud McDowell, a former announcer for the Light and Life Hour, and you're listening to FMC Radio.
0: Alright, so last week we were able to talk to uh, Kevin Austin about Freedom Sunday and hopefully many of you in your local churches were able to celebrate Freedom Sunday and uh, maybe you talked about the Set Free Movement or you uh, saw a video or or there's many different ways that different churches uh, got involved. Uh, but uh, this week we are continuing in a similar theme because Kevin actually uh, connected me to a few different people, and just so happens that I have already met the guy that we're talking to today, but we have Justin Ross on the phone. He is calling us today from Columbus, Ohio, and he has a connection with Set Free, and there's a lot of different things that are going on. We'll get into them, but Justin, thanks for coming on and talking to us today.
1: Yeah, man. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, it's, I, I guess, um, of course, with all the things that are going on, it's it's hard to know where to start, but I guess I'll start similarly to most interviews I like to do, which is maybe just tell us a little bit about yourself, some background, and then um, what you're involved in now, which is called The Story Project, and you can kind of build up to what the story is behind getting to where you're at now.
1: Yeah, I guess the uh, the, the short version is that I'm a, I'm a software guy by, by trade, and, and I hated working in software. and. And God uses that as a stepping stone for me to make a jump from engineering over to full-time ministry well, a little more than a decade ago, I suppose. Um, and so worked just worked in the traditional sense and various roles and went back to school and seminary and did what a lot of people do who make that who make that switch. and and uh, and all of that, as most stories are, prepares you for what's coming and the things you don't see that are that are happening tomorrow. Um, you know, like, like the story project, for instance. So we, uh, we found that, you know, for us, t- 2016 was, was a banner year. I think, I think 2016 is going to be one of these years that lives in infamy for my family. Um, mm-hmm. we, we transitioned out of a, out of a role in Youngstown, uh, Ohio and, uh, and it, it caught us a little bit by surprise. Um, and it was ultimately a, a great move for my family. But, you know, when those, those big career transitions happen, and they come out of uh, left field, you're not prepared for them, and they're kind of a shock, you know, what, what are yeah. we going to do next, and where are we going to land? And um, we went through that normal, and, and people do that all the time, right? I mean, that's that's not just us, but uh, we went through that normal process of grieving and panic and expectation, and then trying to mitigate all that with prayer, going, oh, yeah, we, we, we trust you, God, but we're still really afraid. Yeah. <laughs> um, We landed with friends, uh, at a church in Mansfield, uh, that just embraced us and gave us a space to, to heal and to restore and to dream about where our lives were going and where our ministry was going. And, um, in that year, we, you know, we worked, my wife and I worked six part-time jobs and we made almost no money Mm -hmm. and, uh, I broke my 2-year-old daughter's finger in the front door and I still feel like a bag of poo for doing that. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, and and my daughter got diagnosed with a major medical condition. And it was just just one of those years that we look back on and say, man, what was going on? And um but it was also leading up to that year that that God really started to impart this idea of story. because um, we, we understand that you know, we're going to our kids are going to tell stories about us someday. I mean, Josh, you, you and I, we, all the time, I'm sure, we tell stories about our parents, yeah. um, the, the good, the bad, what was there, what wasn't there. And uh, we, we talk about we talk about the generation above us, and we talk about the people who did or did not influence us, and and especially our parents. And, and we knew that that was going to be true of our daughters. And my wife and I just sort of realized, you know, we, we can shape the kind of story that they're going to tell. and And do we want our girls to tell the story of how, you know, mom and dad... Talked a big game when it came to faith, um, but when when the rubber met the road, they just panicked and let fear drive everything. Or, uh, or did we want our kids to tell the story of how, yeah, maybe we didn't know what was going to happen next, but God did, and maybe we were surprised, but God wasn't, and we and we trust that God works all all things for the good of those who love them. That's you know that's Paul writes about that in uh, in the New Testament. And do we trust that? And and on and bigger than that, do we trust that God is saving the world? I mean, it just goes beyond what my family's dealing with. Do we trust the, the promise and the hope that God is saving the world? I and mean, God will do it with or without us. That's the good news, right? Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes we don't always participate, but we're invited to participate. And uh and do we want our girls to be able to tell the story of how we embraced those truths and uh and went into fear and went into unknown scenarios believing that God was up to something good, and we were a part of it. Um, So we did, and and that really shaped changing the trajectory of our ministry and turned everything on its head from there forward.
0: Okay. So how long has it been? You said said how long has it been since you've lived down there then? A couple years?
1: So we've been in Columbus. We've been working in this direction for about a little less than, well, we're getting close to two and a half years. Two and a half years, yeah. But we've been on location for a year, um, but heading heading here for for two and a half.
0: So, and this is kind of coming into, again, like referencing Kevin Austin, what he was saying, just some of the groups, and and he was, I think, saying 35 different set-free groups and things like that. But he was talking about how, you know, people are excited to get started with something, but a lot of these groups have found it takes a couple years of kind of getting used to the area, finding out what's going on in their community, research, all this, before... You know, the the bigger stuff starts to happen and it sounds as if that's similar to what you're saying because you're saying, you know, this year is going to be probably the biggest year as far as the things that have been going on down there and, and uh, the preparation work for what is coming in this next year. Um, one thing that I think in talking to you and stuff that stands out to me, we we've been talking on here about the uh, the nine strategies of the Free Methodist Church, and we're we're on our eighth now, getting through all of them. Um, but multiplying ministries when when people hear that, when they think about that, um, they think about planting churches, or maybe new churches, or starting another service in an existing church, you know, multiplying what's already there, um, and I know, I, at least I, I guess I shouldn't say I know, but I think your initial idea was to plant a bunch of churches, is that right? You were going to go down to Columbus and maybe plant some churches in that area?
1: Yeah, and, and really it still is. Okay. Um, that's at the core of what we came here to do, that was our calling and our sense to come to Columbus and be church planters, be begrudgingly, having no idea how to do it, and yeah. So we we set out two years ago to to do what you're supposed to do when you plant a church. So we, we said, "What are the two things you're supposed to have?" Well, we need we need a we need a school to meet in, and we need yes. a we need a musician. We need music people, right? Uh, <laughs> like somehow that's I don't know where we came up with that, but for whatever reason, that's the recipe, right, for church planting, right? And, exactly. Uh, so we we toured schools and and we recruited. Musicians. Uh we, we did what you were supposed to do
0: nice, yeah, and it's a and it, so it's really um different yeah, so you started to do this, you started to to look for what you would normally do, but you found that the process was different uh with what became the story project than what you would normally have done um yeah
1: it it completely got flipped on its head i mean we we spent probably a year working our way here and doing that recruitment and that education and training and all that stuff. And, and, and at the end of it, you know, we had three people uh, besides my, my family. We had a, we had a friend who moved from Indianapolis to be a part of this with us. And, and we had uh, a couple of others and they were, and they were all musicians. Uh, and we were looking at school. So we thought, honestly, yeah. we thought we were in a really good place. We, we yeah. had, we checked the boxes we were supposed to check. right? Um, and then we, and then we met, Kevin Austin and we have learned about the set free movement and and we this was a little more than about 15 months ago maybe um, just became aware of the of the depravity of the brokenness that is human trafficking and in particular in the city where we were moving uh, and that and that really affected us I mean we we've made a commitment to being honest with God and being open to where God would lead us uh, yeah. because we didn't know what we were doing in any of this so we we said whatever you lead us into tomorrow we'll step into that trust you with that and so we honored the the opportunity to meet kevin and hear about trafficking and we we took that back home and we prayed over it and we said what do you want us to do with this god i mean this is this sounds like it's kind of a big deal and it sounds like something the church should be doing something about um and and then that turned out to be true i mean and god used that to just completely turn our our church planning model on its head and we began to rethink everything and took all of the expectations and all of the assumptions and threw them out the window and started over from scratch.
0: Mm, yeah. So tell us about what that what that looked like then when you say you started over like what uh, most people go well now what do we do? <laughs> like, if you don't have that <laughs> yeah, same right. cookie cutter thing, you can't don't go out and find more musicians. What what do you do next?
1: well we 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 identified the problem right so we we realized we got to be involved in this and that really hit for us uh, a key principle um you know we sat i remember very clearly our our friend claire from indianapolis and uh, and amanda my wife and i sitting at my my mom's dining room table We, we we had moved in with my parents for nine months to save money to make this happen and uh, we were sitting at her table going, we get the chance to set DNA and to, ch- and to set culture from day one. I mean, there's a lot of stress and pain with church planning, but one of the big advantages is you, you don't have to change culture. You get to determine culture from the beginning. Um, and so we said, in light of this and in light of just, just the fact that we're starting something new, what, what's, what would be key DNA, what would be key culture items we're going to hang our hat on? And, and one of those things was being action-oriented people. You know, I, I joke with people that in, in ten years of ministry behind a desk, um, I've always struggled getting people out of seats and into streets. I've always struggled in helping people connect Sunday to every other, you know, day and hour of the week in meaningful ways that give people hope, um, that live out that gospel to realize that hope is not just a forever thing, hope is a now thing. Um mm-hmm. we can realize it now and we can show others now what hope looks like. And I've always struggled with getting that in action for others. And so we thought, well, if the struggle is getting people out of seats and into streets and we get the set culture from day one, what if we just didn't have any seats? I mm. mean, let's throw all assumptions aside. What if we literally didn't have any seats? What if we just existed in the streets as mm. an action oriented people? Um, could we change, we asked the question, could we change the identity of the church from a weekend-driven event to an action-oriented people? Uh, and that's, that resonated with us, that, that lined up with you know, what we've always read uh, about, the, about the early church in the first place. And I think God used that kind of theme to, to drive us into being, okay, if, if we're going to be an action-oriented group – as church planners and and we're sensing this alignment with addressing human trafficking issues specifically, what does that mean? What do we do? Like where, where do we step in? Where do we take action? And, um, we began to learn. Um, we just, we literally knew nothing. So we, uh, we sent out emails. I sent out emails to tons of people and any organization that was doing anything in trafficking faith-based or not. I just, I got to know and over several months, um, we just got this big download of education, and met people, and heard stories, and and wanted to identify the gap uh, in the restoration effort of survivors that that wasn't being addressed. You know, Columbus is a great city, and when it comes to dealing with human trafficking, um, it it's very progressive in the sense that we get a lot of groups on the ground doing things that a lot of other cities don't have. So. We asked ourselves, what's the one thing, what's the one big thing for survivors that's still not being done? And can the Church of Jesus Christ step into that in an intentional way? Can the Church step into that gap and say, we can tackle that, we can take that on, uh, and and invite others uh, beyond the Church into that journey with us? Um, We we discovered that it turned out to be employment barriers. Um, Okay. Columbus has a lot going on to get people through six months to two years of recovery, but after two years, there's nowhere to go. Um, so the, the short version is they get, a survivor gets dropped off, and there's high chances of relapse, and they're still living in poverty. And so we thought, can the church solve employment barriers for victims of human trafficking, and, and can we build a church on that idea?
0: Yeah, so, okay, so, so you identify, and this is, again, this is what we're, we've been been learning and talking about with Kevin and... And just a, a lot of churches starting to see too is okay. The first step is to identify what's going on in the community. So you identify this employment thing. Now, how do you how do you start to step towards a solution uh, towards this?
1: Well, it, that it, that goes hand in hand with just how we reinvent the church as a whole. Yeah. Um, so one of the one of the things that became very apparent to us were were key issues that the church has always had. Um, Coming back to things like being self-sustaining, um, being financially generative, uh, working with or handling a facility, and, and being repeatable. You know, we, we have no desire to put a whole lot of effort and a whole lot of money into something that's going to be a one-off solution. We, we think that if we are going to generationally re-identify the church within our community, um, associate a new identity for the church, to connect with a generation of people that want nothing to do with a Sunday event... That we need to do it in a way that we can sustain it and repeat it again and again and again. Um, and in order to do that, we have to think beyond fundraising. Um, well, that's sort of a, a, a tenet that we're trying to hang our hat on. Is we don't we don't want to do any fundraising, and that's crazy. I mean, how mm. does a nonprofit, how does a church go? You know, yeah. function without that? And and that's different from tithing. All right. So tithing is a discipline. It's a principle we believe in that, and it matters. And that's separate. Um, but in that vein, we want, we want the people who would call the story project their church home. We want their tithes directly tied to stories and names. We want hundred percent of that money going right back into the community, into people's lives. Mm-hmm. We never want tithes to pay for brick and mortar for fixing air conditioners and carpeting a, a wing of the building or anything like that. Um, we thought if this is going to work, whatever it is, we need somebody else to pay for it. We need it to keep paying for itself. And we need to completely eliminate the overhead of facilities, wow. um, and those are challenges the church has always dealt with, and they're big ideas that we thought, man, we gotta. <laughs> How do we deal with them? Well, we we deal with them by going to the marketplace. At least, at least this is our what we're gonna. What we we are trying. Um, mm-hmm. The resources are in the marketplace, and so can we invite the marketplace, the the corporate sector, the 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 for-profit world. Can we invite the marketplace into the story of the church in such a way that the market sustains financially the change we hope to see? And along the way, they find out we, that uh, that Jesus is not their dollars, but Jesus is the one driving this change and, and realizing this hope for people. So uh, we're going to start a small business. Uh, the, I, I could have led with that, but yeah, that, that's what we're doing. We're gonna we're gonna start a small business. It's really a social enterprise because it's a nonprofit, and we're gonna turn all of those dollars back into uh, things like demand reduction for sex trafficking and hiring survivors of human trafficking and dealing with employment barriers for long-term dignified employment for for survivors who graduate their recovery programs and and working alongside other nonprofits who are taking one or two steps before before our piece of the puzzle. But but at the end of the day, we want to provide. Uh, the market, something that they're already paying for, something that's in demand, and we're going to do it in a way uh, that they would want to use our services, and all of those revenues get turned into the change we're hoping to drive.
0: Yeah, so you're getting into it, so this is a now not just an idea of like, well, we want to do something, but you you guys have come up with a specific way that you can do this, and I think, are you referring to the co-hatch idea, is that what you're talking about here?
1: Yeah, so Coach Co- is a is a brand name uh, that's local to Columbus. Okay. Um, that that just for the, the overall general concept of co-working space. So we're mm. we're, we're specifically to looking to get into um, office rental, meeting space, um, co-working space, a place where you foster business relationships and uh, and we're local clients. So our our clients will be the, the local businesses of Columbus. And, uh, and they can use our space and, and hire us to use our space. Um, and their employees can use our space, that sort of thing. Uh, and that's, that's the service we will provide them, but, but it's intentional. It's an intentional service to the marketplace because we want those clients to be the very people who hire our survivors of human trafficking that we're working with. So, so it kind of goes mm-hmm. both ways. We're, we're hopefully giving you something you want to pay for that you're already paying for anyway, uh, and we're turning that revenue back into teaching you about human trafficking, teaching you about hiring survivors uh, of abuse, uh, and then eventually putting you in a position where the next time you need uh, an employee for a certain job, we've, you can come to us and hopefully we have somebody that we can send to you. And and now that survivor of trafficking gets to jump the poverty gap, get a salaried full-time benefits eligible position that they never would have qualified before. Um, have because because they have a criminal record or a drug history and no financial history and all sorts of all the barriers we talk about dealing with.
0: Yeah, that's great, and I'm just starting to learn within the last month or so about this idea. Like you say, I guess Cohatch uh, is a is a name localized to to Columbus. and you know, I, uh, the only hatch I knew about was the the DARm initiative hatch on the island of Lost. So I didn't <laughs> before this. but uh, it has nothing to do with that. So you'd have to climb down in the jungle. Uh, but this idea of sharing the space so like in, in theoretically how this works on each day, a different room can be rented out, I mean it's not as if they set up an office for years or is it? I mean do they, different days, different people are coming in and using this shared office space?
1: Yeah, you're onto it. It's a little bit of everything actually. So half our revenue comes from private office rentals so we, we set up permanent locations for small business centers. So mm. think, think of people like, like CPAs, attorneys, lawyers, um, you know, uh, real estate people who, who need a professional office space and need yeah. and need a nice place to host some clients every now and then, but they mm-hmm. don't want to pay for their own full blown office space uh, downtown, you know that kind of thing. Um, but at the same time, the other half of your revenue comes from memberships. So people who just want to use the space for twenty or forty hours a week, uh, and they can come and sit anywhere. So there's just community creative sitting spaces all over the place, and. Uh, and there's all the amenities of a professional office environment and all the amenities of a local cafe or a bistro, hmm. and you're paying a fraction of the price to have access to it all. Um, so you come there, and you can work there. You can host your clients there, and everybody's using it. It's shared, um, but you can reserve spaces So if you need it for a meeting or something like that. Uh, and and the best part about it is you're, you're fostering a relationship. You're creating a space where the – the people working in the market can meet others and collaborate um, and build relationships in the, within the business community. So you're, you're. It's, it's kind of funny because it lines up with something the church is hopefully really good at anyway. Is you're just creating a space for relationships to develop, um, and you're mm-hmm. creating that for the market, for the for the sector um, in Columbus that we're trying to reach, which is which is going to be business and IT um, clients, sure. and we create that space for them to use. Now, our our part-time employees and our survivor employees will oversee office administration while they're continuing their support and they're continuing their recovery effort. And then at the same time, we'll be able to use the revenues we're getting um, from these memberships and these office rentals. We'll use those revenues to potentially pay for internships with these local clients too. So we, we get a local business who's using our space for maybe hosting their client for a training event and maybe to get a couple employees who are members. Um, and at the same time, every year we're going on site to their location, and we're doing human trafficking training events, uh, hmm. and become their official go-to for education. Yeah. And then we're also equipping them to eventually hire our people. Uh, and then it's we're hoping it becomes a mutual partnership um, between us and our clients.
0: Yeah, that's a, there's so many different layers to the involvement, and it's interesting. You know, it's just a. So many different things going through my head of, of you know you're originally going back to the beginning and thinking of planning a church and multiplying ministries what does that mean you know getting people involved in a in a church and now kind of looking down the line of saying okay um, now it's kind of in the middle of the process because i understand you, you have this building you're looking at and you know this is you're 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 looking at pretty soon starting this idea And we think of it won't be very hard to get people involved with this kind of an idea, to have office people who, you know, they may have different beliefs, backgrounds, but now they're actually getting involved in, to use the phrase that we've been using, the story. They're getting involved in this story, and they may not even know, you know, 99% of the people hopefully are against human trafficking besides those who are, you know, opposing it. It, Regardless of your, you know, your past, your... um, uh, whatever it is, your religion, people are against this issue, and then, like you're saying, then maybe along the way they're gonna kind of uncover this other aspect of well, wait a minute, you know, this is actually about about Jesus also. There's this other thing going on as well.
1: <laughs> um, Dude, you're hitting the nail on the head, man. So that we've we've learned this um, over the last probably eight months that people people follow what matters, and, th- and that principle is just sticking out like a sore thumb to us right now. People follow what matters. We, we spent over a year trying to do what you're supposed to do to plant a church, and we had and we had three friends willing to come on the ride with us. Uh, and two months after turning our church plant on its head and starting, starting with this mission plant, starting with the social enterprise, and growing the church out of that, um, the moment we made that switch and and began to desperately pray, okay, okay, God, you're you're gonna have to you're gonna have to bring us the people and the relationships and everything to make this happen is we have no idea what we're doing with any of this stuff. Um, as soon as we started praying that prayer and changing this, people started showing up by the droves. I mean, our, our relationship network went from three to 30 overnight mm-hmm. and, and people that I have no business talking to. I mean, I'm a nobody from nowhere, man. <laughs> I, mean, I, got, I am literally a nobody from nowhere mm-hmm. and I, I get to have lunch with some of columbus's most most powerful influencers because they are getting on board with what we're trying to accomplish and the role we're trying to play and uh, i get the our our rolodex of local executives is just continuing to grow and and that that's not a name-dropping thing that's that's just a principle that's people follow what matters and uh, and we're gonna we expect that that lay movement, it's really a lay movement to continue to grow and continue to expand and, and we're gonna add more executives and more partners, uh, the further this goes and the bigger this gets and it's really exciting, um, and it's and it's really true. And we've gotta we have to think about that. When we talk about multiplying ministries, um, we've gotta recognize that everybody younger than me I I'm generalizing, okay, but but a lot of people, a lot of people younger than me—I'm 35—that aren't connected with the church don't care about Sunday morning. I hate to say it, but they—a lot of people don't care. Yeah. Not—not not that it's not important. It just doesn't matter. It just—it doesn't matter. So, if we can be involved in a way in their lives that matters, and invite them into a story that that matters, then we get to show them that. That especially, okay, in the social justice thing, this this in human trafficking thing, they, that matters, right? Every, everybody thinks that matters. So a lot of people are going to step into that. And as they step into that, we get to show them, okay, you get to be a part of something you wanted to be a part of anyway. And so we invited you into a practical way to be involved. But let me show you now that this, the Jesus that is behind it, we, we want to show you that, that the hope you're trying to give that Jesus is, the and the gospel really is the most powerful tool for the hope we're trying to see. And we now empower the marketplace and we empower the next generation to come into the story that God is already telling. God is saving the world, with, with or without us. God is saving the world. And this is a unique opportunity for us to do something that matters as a part of that saving and invite everybody into what matters, and along the way. Like you said, they'll find out. Oh yeah, we do this cool thing on on Sunday as well. Um, yeah. But our identity shifts. Okay, so the so my goal is that the that the city of Columbus knows us first for who we are in the community. That they know us first. That the, they know they hear the Story Project, and they say, Oh yeah, that's that's the group that does um, employment barriers. They do social enterprising to deal with employment barriers and demand reduction for human trafficking. And that's the first thing they know, and that's what most people might know. But the more they get to know us, then we get to say, we also do these other things that are really important too, uh, and and get to involve them in a deeper way in what we might know as the more traditional pieces of the church.
0: Yeah, so I think there's, um, um, you know, if there's, say, older listeners, uh, elderly people that are listening, or, you know, some people say, I'm not elderly, you know, but older people that grew up in a, I don't know what we would call it, the church age or whatever, but uh right what what is happening right now is known as the post christian world so what they're finding is Um, that, of course, there was a generation that everybody went to church, the whole family went to church. Then there was a generation um, that grew up, and when they got older, they stopped going to church for a while. And then um, as they got older again, they said, I remember when I went when I was a kid, I'm going to go back. And they went back to church. But now we're in this generation that grew up not going to church because they were the kids that grew up during that middle time when those those kids who had grown up stopped going to church and and they were living in that time before those parents got older and went back to church. So if everybody's following me on that. So there's this whole generation of people that that aren't had never really set foot in a church before, and and, and that's what we're dealing with now. Some of the um, young adults and, and people in in our in the younger groups today, and to go to along with what Justin is saying here too, like what you're saying of this meaning, you know, especially when you see in the news every day, you see things about you know the Catholic Church was it was a recent one where there's these you know abuse scandals going on and then there's you know number one uh, book uh, people you know pastor has published many books he's involved in a scandal and then there's this and that these big names that are supposedly trustworthy people you know especially you um, Especially people who have never been to church before are not very excited to go on a, to a church on Sunday morning. I mean, even people who have been involved in church for a long time are saying like, "Oh, I'm not sure." Some people are leaving the church over these types of things, um, but especially those who have never been a part of it, they're not going to say, "Oh, I got invited to a church service. That sounds great. I, that sounds exciting. I'm going to go to that." You know, there's no good news in the news about this kind of stuff right now. Um, and so that idea of, you know, it's, it's not as it used to be. For some of you who are listening, to say, well, I've gone my whole life. I, I don't understand. Why wouldn't people want to come on Sunday? Because of how the world is today. And from their point of view, th- there's nothing to be gotten from going to church on Sunday. And so if we reverse that process of saying, okay, let's get people involved with something that, that really matters here. And then they realize, oh, wait a minute, there's something bigger going on. And, and maybe then it kind of comes full circle to that meeting, which um, Justin, I think that uh, one of the ideas is to in that co-hatch space. Are you are you long term or, or even maybe short term? Are you looking to have a, a meeting like a church meeting there?
1: Yeah, so I mean, in the in the co-working space we use now, we we meet a couple times a month on Sunday nights for um, for an hour, and and yeah. I think the long-term plan. And we're actually we're actually at the point now in our story where we are we are transitioning out of using. Um, the co-working spaces that currently exist in Columbus because we're we're going to be able to move into our own space and really mm. start to physically on the ground, develop our own space. Um, yeah. So we'll probably start meeting there. But uh, this is – what you're saying is true, and it's really, really weird. Um, coming from a, a guy who's worked in full-time ministry and been involved in the church my whole life and worked full-time ministry for a decade, um, the notion that – number one, the notion that I don't have anything to do on Sunday morning is, is weird. Like, I – I mow my grass on Sunday morning, and I, f- I feel bad about it, <laughs> just because mm-hmm. that's, that's just, that shouldn't be right. That's how I grew up. Yeah, uh, that's what I've been doing. Uh, but but and, and I don't and I don't preach every week either. And that's just that's it's so weird. Uh, and I like it's just it's I'm still getting used to the notion that we aren't that all of my time isn't invested in what we've always done. Um, But I want to be careful about about our language because um, while we are first inviting people into a movement, an an action-oriented movement, this this dealing with trafficking, for instance, um, I I want to I strongly encourage our people, and as we talk about with others, that that Sunday still matters and Sunday is still important, Mm. Um, and there are there are important practices you know sacraments of the church communion baptism there are things we do on sunday worship and 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 we don't want to lose any of those things mm. um what what we are doing is inviting people into a different front door if, if i could if i could think of the the rooms of a home and an analogy i learned from another pastor once but it used to be uh i think over the last i say used to be maybe over the currently over the last couple of decades it's the idea that the front door is your Sunday morning event—that that's where you invite people uh, into the experience uh, and the identity of the church—and and I think we're just trying to shift that. We're we're saying maybe the front door is actually out in the streets. Jo- join us there first, and then and then as you work with us and as you get involved and ch- tangibly giving people hope, um, then then you'll, you'll step into another room and come deeper into the house and deeper into the experience of the church. And experience some of those things like, uh, like Sunday. So, so we're going to be doing those things along the way, and we're going to do those in the space where where we do the business. Um, you know, we talked about facility free and financially generative. So, if the markets, if, if we can eliminate facility from the equation, that changes the financial game completely. So, the business itself becomes completely responsible for its own building and as it should be um, the ancillary benefit for the traditional side of the church you know the 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 Sunday meetings for example we get to use that space completely free and never have any utility bills and never have any maintenance costs um, so that's just our way of continuing to address some of those barriers to self-sustaining repeatable models
0: yeah this is just um, exciting to see the what has happened and now you know that's just another example of, of just um, what we've been talking about of, of just people using their different skills and, and seeing what's needed in the area um, and then going out and, and doing something about it. And um, I, I know you had talked a little bit about um, um, you know one of the things with when you have this um, office space and the people are coming in and kind of turning around and then going providing, that um providing that human trafficking awareness and and um teaching people and things like that and so um well before we wrap up this I wanted to um, talk a little bit about that as well and just if you could tell us a little bit about your specific area and kind of what's going on and what what would you tell people if they're they're getting involved there like what's going on in um, Columbus with the issue yeah
1: so I mean we, we find in Columbus that that we are the Fourth in the nation in reported cases of of human trafficking, and most of that is is sex trafficking. Um, we we imagine that because of labor trafficking, um, especially with children, the numbers are higher than we realize. But it's it's very difficult to track labor track uh, labor trafficking right now. So um, we're fourth in sex trafficking because of sex trafficking, um, and, but we may not actually that be ranked there um the reality is we're just really good at seeing it and counting it again columbus is kind of ahead of the game so we recognize it's bad everywhere um but thanks to the ability to see it uh we're also able to do a lot about it so in in columbus uh more than 1200 women will be uh, arrested uh, a lot of that repeat offenders but but 1200 arrests in columbus for solicitation for prostitution every year and 92 percent of those women are slaves um and most of them are runaways that got picked up, you know, by a 12, 13 year old uh, that was abused before they were even a teenager, and get picked up by a boyfriend who becomes their pimp, and uh, they get forced into an addiction uh, to heroin, to fentanyl, uh, and they get stuck. Um, it changes the chemistry of their brain. The, the, the opioid addiction changes their chemistry of their brain. Their desires change. And honestly, by the time you spend half of your life especially your young life in uh, forced slavery, selling your body, you don't think like a normal person thinks. You live in fight or flight mode and your, your number one objective is survival and you know, food and shelter uh, and what do I do for my kids? And so there's a lot of factors between the drugs and the fear from the pimp and the fear of survival that just create an environment where once you're in, it's extremely difficult to get out. Uh, and we're seeing it happen uh, hundreds of times over the course of uh, over the course of a year for a lot of women. And uh, And so we are, specifically as a story project, you know we're joining the efforts of a lot of other people to step in. We, we have a court system here that can help uh, if you're arrested for solicitation, there because there's a two- year probationary um, program called Catch Court, uh, which is unique to Columbus where you can get your criminal record expunged. Um, the, the court sees you as a victim, not a criminal, hmm. uh, and that's a huge change um, that has meant a lot of difference, and we're hoping that that gets spread to other cities. Um, you can get transitional employment help. You can get some housing help, depending on where you're at, um, and so we, we are coming in beside a lot of groups doing all that kind of stuff already to, to again, we, we wanted to identify where's the gap. and and we saw that gap on the, the end of the recovery effort. So so maybe you get two years of recovery and maybe you find yourself off drugs and um, the reality is you're probably still in a bad neighborhood, your kids are probably still dealing with the same pimps that you had to deal with, there's still a, uh, a, a bad scenario where they could deal with those drugs on your streets and if we can deal with poverty and if we can deal with just continuing to create dignity um, by helping you with employment issues, then that's the piece I think the Story Project specifically plays. In, in the darkness that is Columbus's is trafficking um, and it's and I don't know how that would play in other cities you know we're, we're exploring that we think this is a repeatable thing but um, the piece we play is so far down the line with partnerships with others um, if we were to land in another city and try this uh, I think we might find our, our recovery efforts uh, are not just in employment it might be a little further up the line it might be more right off the street and um, so it's hard to say, you know, context of, of where a city is because we're, we're really relying on partners um, while we're at this. Mm.
0: Well, that, that kind of connects to what another thing I was going to ask you is, is uh, that idea of partnership and people listening, um, different parts of the United States, but different people have different means of partnering or giving. But <clears throat> what ways can people get involved with, with what's going on there with the story project? So
1: we're, we're in the market for relationships. So we we have been from day one, and that continues to be the case today. Um, again, we're not um, we're not trying to be a fundraising effort, mm-hmm. and so um, it, it's it's kind of funny because we, we say that, and we want that to be something we put our hat on. We do recognize that we think there's an initial piece of our launch of our physical launch that probably will incorporate a fundraising initiative. But so we, we like to say we want the first fundraiser to be the last fundraiser. Um, so certainly there's there's ways people can contribute financially, but but more than that and more powerful than that for us is relationships. I mean, we just need relationships. So more people to join the lay movement. That, that tangibly looks like um, anybody you know who's in central Ohio, we want to know who they are, um, especially people who have influence with local business because we are transitioning to the phase now where we're looking for our first clients, and we want to be able to talk to people who are – in need of of office space, who especially small business owners, uh, people who work from home, people who telecommute, um, telecommuting. Uh, We want to talk to anybody and everybody who's a potential client uh, and local corporations that we can come in and start training on human trafficking in an official capacity at a corporate level. Um, So anybody who knows people, we want to meet those people. Anybody who lives here uh, and is involved in the business and IT sector, um, we continue to build those relationships and then on the other side, um, people who don't live here. So we are, uh, as I said, we're, we're transitioning into our own physical space. Um, probably, best case scenario by by the end of the year, um, we'll be sitting in our own our own room, and uh, we are we're going to have to create and and get that space ready to deal with uh, human trafficking in the way that we're trying to deal with it. So. Uh, We're envisioning opportunities for people with skills outside of Columbus to come to Columbus for a day uh, in those short-term mission-type opportunities, Um, people with construction skills and electrical skills and marketing skills. um, uh, People can help us with marketing from anywhere in the country. So uh, there are ways to grow our business and grow the social enterprise digitally, virtually, on-site. Uh, and it all stems from just knowing people who want to be involved and we'll find a way to get you involved.
0: Okay, so if there's someone listening who does want to get involved in some way, what's the best way to contact?
1: Yeah, so our, our website's the, the easy out, storyofohio.com, storyofohio.com. Um, you can contact us through there. You can hit us on Facebook, our Story Project, the Story Project Facebook page, um, and people can reach out to me directly, uh, David at com. And again, that all the information is uh, available on the on the site as
0: well. Awesome. Well, I'll put links to all of those in the show notes as well. If people know how to do that, you can navigate there and uh, and click on those. And um, if you, Justin, if you uh, just let us know uh, what the updates are, and we would like to share those and hear what's going on there within the next year and within the coming years as well. Um, like to keep people updated on what's happening, and we'll hope to hear uh, more good news news from what's going on down there soon
1: yeah we appreciate it man it's it's happening
0: here we go yeah it's time <laughs> awesome well thanks so much for coming on and talking to us all right thanks all right, all right bye